this is a village that's called in this culture in in this place the untouchables some people are high caste some people are very low and then there's those that you just don't even you don't even touch you don't you don't even communicate with you you shun as if they were damaged and diseased Mark Pete asked you if you would do something that was kind of difficult for you would you tell us about that Every morning when they would wake up and and have to go to the bathroom and have to bathe or whatever there was no private place to do it and the men from the other village would come and watch Hello and welcome to the ITMI podcast where you get to hear directly from ITMI partners. I'm your host, Summer Kelly. In this episode, ITMI's Steve Evers and Mark Burritt are chatting about their visit with our partners in India, who in this episode we're referring to as Pete and Holly because of security concerns. Steve and Mark are sharing about attending an event unlike anything most of us have ever experienced, the dedication ceremony for the completed restroom and bathroom facility ITMI supporters funded. Then we get a glimpse into why Pete is such an effective counselor, and Mark opens up telling us what it was like when Pete asked him to do something that was really difficult for him. You'll hear in his voice just how difficult it was. So let's get right to my conversation with Mark and Steve. So while you were in India, you got to visit our partners, Pete and Holly, and you got to be a part of a really exciting event. Can you tell us a little about that and what it was like? You never would imagine that giving somebody an outhouse, in essence, and a, a little tiny room to bathe in would be such a big deal. To give a little background, this is a village that's called, in this culture, in, the, in this place, the untouchables. Some people are high caste, some people are very low, and then there's those that you just don't even you don't even touch. You don't you don't even communicate with. You you shun as if they were damaged and diseased. And there are tens of thousands of these kinds of people, these little villages all around. We might even call them gypsies. Some people call them the fox people because they live off of just hunting rodents and whatever they can catch to eat out in the bush. These people have not been schooled. They've not been included in anything. They're probably some of the dirtiest, uh, physically dirty, beat up, traumatized people that I've come in contact with. I noticed the last time I went, there were those that had been in such traumatic situations for so long of their life that literally there were women that couldn't speak with a normal voice. They growled. It was more of a a growl when they spoke as if to say, stay away from me, don't hurt me. And this was just normal everyday communication. Our partner, Pete, loves all Indians, and he loves these people, and these people don't have any church, they don't have any gospel, they don't have anything, and in fact, they didn't have bathrooms, and every morning when they would wake up and and have to go to the bathroom and have to bathe or whatever, there was no private place to do it, and the men from the other village would come and watch. They ask, can't you just give us something that we could have some privacy in? Pete said, well, what are your husbands doing? Why don't they stop this? And they said, our husbands don't care. And it just struck me. These people are so destroyed. They're so emotionally stunted that 
The men just think about eating, and their wives are so devalued that they're not even worth protecting or standing up for, and the conflict that would ensue was not worth the effort, and so they just let this happen to their wives and daughters and women of the village. This is my first time, so my first impression when I got out of the vehicle, they just kind of mobbed us. They were just very loud and aggressive people. They're uh, hanging on to me all the time. I was taking some pictures, which they were fascinated with, so they all wanted their pictures taken, and they would push and hit each other, try to get out them out of the way so they could... And it wasn't just the kids, like in Africa or something. It was the adults that wanted pictures with me and stuff, so it was, it was pretty interesting. And then Steve got his drone out, and that that raised even more uh, curiosity as they followed him around so it was it was it was pretty incredible um the restrooms are were very nice nicely done so we had a uh, dedication ceremony with some government officials and, and people that were there and uh they made us feel real important honored us and took um uh, some pictures again um Hopefully this is going to be, you know, uh, just a way of, of reaching them. Uh, it's such a challenge uh, to evangelize. It's just something that is impossible without God, obviously. But um, I think a lot of the plans in the future that, that uh, Pete has with a school, and you can see God really working among these people. And, and just, I'm so thankful that, that Pete has a heart for, for people that are just so left out of society. Pete uh, came to us and said if, if we could build some some toilets if we could build some bathrooms he he says that he thought that it would make a huge impact in showing these people God's love i think a lot of times in 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 the bible uh, we see that christ fed fed the 5000 fed the 4000 we see that he healed the sick and people came and wanted to hear now who this was and so we uh, at ITMI made this opportunity known, and one of our one of our dear precious friends here in the Phoenix area decided that they, as a family, wanted to step up and help. So Paul contracted. Paul got some of the people involved that that have been a part of this village between the contractor and this superintendent and the finances that we got here. They were able to lay out and design three little buildings that had two toilets on one end and a little bathroom in the middle. They were spread out in this little village. There were 94 families in this village, and they built these little standalone buildings, painted them bright blue, put in tile on the inside so that they would be easier to keep clean. They had little faucets in inside. They had doors that would lock, and these people were now going to have a place to go to the bathroom in privacy, to actually wash, to be private and to be able to clean maybe their clothes and, and to wash in private. Well, of course, it needed to have water, and the water system that the village had wasn't even enough water for the 94 families. That whole area, they've never been able to get good water. It's been salty, poor quality. Which doesn't matter, of course, when you're washing or, or using the bathroom, but that's what's going on around this community is the water has been contaminated by salt. So part of our project was to drill a well. And Paul said we, we started drilling and we got down 100 feet and no water, 200 feet, no water. Now it's getting expensive because you're at 250 and no water. And they continued to go to 300, no water, 400. And at 500 feet, they finally decided 
we might as well stop because there's just no water. They contacted Pete and let Pete know that we failed. We failed. The drilling process failed. Many of these people are not believers, but they have a desire to see something good happen to these people. And so they just let it sit, trying to decide what to do. What are we going to do now? Do we try to raise some more money? Do we try to drill somewhere else? There's no, there's no water here. We need water for these people to go to the bathroom and to wash. They let it sit for three days, and they finally decided just to cap the empty hole so that nothing falls in, animal or a child or something. And one of the workers picked up a small pebble, and just for the fun of it, I'm going to drop it just to, you know, just to drop it and let it fall the 500 plus feet. And when he did, there was a splash. There was a splash at the bottom. And it so surprised them. They dropped a few more to find out that there was water down there. And somehow they found out that there was quite a bit of water down there. And the guy that was overseeing the construction project immediately called Pete and let Pete know and they came back and they drew some water and found out that it not only was enough water there, but it was sweet water. It was absolutely sweet, no salt at all. And this made me smile because Pete and Holly had built a home not terribly far from here for their 19 rescued girls. And on that property, they were able to drill t- drill two or three wells to support their crops and their farming and their goats and their and the home and it was all sweet water too but everybody around them were, was frustrated because all they could get was was salty brackish water and so God continues to answer the prayers the humble prayers of his people and to show himself mighty and capable. When all of it came together, the well and the bathrooms, I'm sure it was somewhat a chaotic event and there was lots going on and lots of voices and things. But what were some of the things maybe you got to reflect on later that evening or the next time you had a minute about your time celebrating the opening of the bathrooms and, the, and visiting the village? As far as the, the villages, yeah, I, they made quite an impression on me, just um, people that God needs to reach, you know. And sometimes we got to really go out of our comfort zone to reach people that that he wants us to reach. I I just have so much admiration for Pete and and his heart for them, and I'm praying hard for for those people that that there's going to be people come to know the Lord. The celebration, the uh, the dedication of these three little buildings, these three little bathroom buildings, for this village was probably equal to the Super Bowl. In America, imagine nobody will even talk to you. Imagine nobody will let you into their store. Imagine that you are looked down upon and you are treated with disdain, deep disdain by anybody, everybody outside your village and inside your village for generations. And now you're having public official come. You're having these foreigners come. You're having this dedication. There were some balloons there. There were some streamers. There was excitement. They dressed up in their best clothes. I had never seen so much what you would call makeup put on the women's faces. I mean, a lot. And obviously, put on quantity and thickness was the standard as opposed to some other standard. Somebody had let the local newspaper know, and the local newspaper had sent a a reporter out that was hoping to take video and send this to TV station or radio station. 
that became a problem for us because India does not like Christians coming in and out and, and proselytizing. Uh, and so as a tourist, they only want you to come in and do touristy things. And for us to be able to travel there, we have to travel as tourists. And so we actually had to, quite frankly, pull the reporter aside and, and surround him and tell him that we did not give him permission to use our names, our, our images, our video, or anything that identified us in any way because we don't want to be blacklisted and not be able to come into the country like many other ministry leaders have. But we had a chance to speak to them and share with them and tell them that this is just the beginning. If they will will do what's right, if they will learn to do what's right, then they will be blessed and they will be honored. And again, you have to be very careful because in a, in a public environment like this with government Hindu officials, in fact, there was a Hindu government official there, and you have to be very careful what you say and what you don't say in public. But all of these things are done to earn us the opportunity to say things in private and ultimately to recruit a pastor that will come and spend focused, dedicated time ministering and evangelizing and discipling this particular people group. It was a great time, but I was a little surprised when I was reminded of the emotional mentality. Emotionally mature people are grateful and able to put a gift in perspective. Those who have been traumatized and neglected and abused and ostracized for so long are not going to be able to properly process a gift. It's going to be This is good, but we want more. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? Gratitude doesn't come until, and many times, until God takes over. And so they don't know how to be grateful. And yet we still continue to help them where they are and try to take them baby steps to where God wants them to be. And I would imagine Pete sort of knew about this going in and has a plan to deal with all of that. Is that something you could share with us, or is that something he's shared with you? One of the biggest the biggest next steps is, is getting a pastor that can go to this area. Unfortunately, in India, a lot of pastors struggle to feed their family. It's just difficult, especially rural pastors. And just like Africa, if a pastor has a, a following, they may want to balance the income potential with the ministry potential. This is something Pete is working very, very hard to deal with. But to come to the untouchables that have nothing, nothing is a a real act of missionary heart. And so Paul has to find not only a missionary heart, but somebody that is off the scale when it comes to being gentle. And so I, I would ask all who are listening that as God reminds them to help pray with Pete as he tries to find the pastor that's gentle, that has a missionary's heart, that's willing to come in and literally start from a primary school level teaching truth, baby, baby, baby steps, because the people are so consumed in protecting and guarding and controlling that which is around them they're not open yet to listen. That's one of the biggest challenges. Pete 
has got a very clear plan on what needs to happen. And one of the next things from there, and maybe it is the next thing, is setting up a little shack. And this little shack will be used as a tiny school because nobody gets to go to school for generations in this area. And this little school may teach ABCs and one, two, threes, but it's probably going to teach hygiene. It's probably going to teach what it means to be a parent. It's probably going to teach what it means to deal with a wound, how to cook, how to do any number of daily things that nobody's ever taught these people and little by little gradually show these things. And of course, introduce the love of God, introduce the hope of Christ, introduce the plan of salvation in all of these teachings. Sounds like a big job. Big job. job. You guys got to sit in on some counseling that Pete was doing. And obviously, you know, we want to respect the privacy of those sessions. But what were some of the things you noticed about the sessions in general and Paul's approach to helping people that way? I sat in one. He was he was counseling a, a young couple who were getting married that that Wednesday. Uh, in fact, we got invitations to the wedding, but unfortunately, we couldn't come. But um, his approach is very direct, um, very biblical, um, down to earth, and they really have a lot of respect for him. He's obviously the leader of that church, and uh, you see that in the people that are around him. He also allowed me to share a little bit, which is which was fun. Um, my perspective of marriage and stuff with them, and they were very receptive. The young lady was very quiet, didn't speak much, which I guess is cultural also, but that was pretty special, and uh, we met with them on a couple other occasions with with other groups that Steve can probably talk about within the church. I was blessed to sit in and watch him do kind of a premarital counseling, a pre-wedding counsel with this couple, both of them believers, and Paul just, again, discipling. He just wants to disciple people. And an interesting thing about Pete and Holly is, is they've kind of turned uh, marriage upside down, or at least the Indian's concept of marriage. Holly is an American. Pete is an Indian. And he has really tried to honor his wife, to love his wife, to value his wife. His wife is very uh, vivacious. Holly is really outgoing and really just what they might call loud. In India, vivacious women don't go over very well. And yet Pete has allowed Holly to be herself and the women love her. Uh, the women value her. And so in many, many ways, they have adopted biblical marriage principles and they're modeling it in many ways. And so I think this is why Pete's premarital counseling is so valued. Valued. Because mm. he's led by example. You guys also got to participate in a pastor's conference. Paul is equipping pastors every month. Tell us about the, the pastor's conference a little bit. Pete likes to have these every month because it's a, it's a way of raising up the maturity, the education, the capability of rural pastors. There was supposed to be around... I think 80 to 100 there. Pete had come to us and said, you know, I like to try to bless these pastors that many of them sacrifice coming here. They have to work secular jobs to be able to be a pastor, to feed their family. They're missing all of that just to come and to praise and worship together, to unite together, to feel a unity together, and then to be taught and discipled. And they're sacrificing to do that. So I like to bless them. Is there anything 
that ITMI might like to do to help out? And I said, sure, we would love to. So Pete got together, Pete got together with his staff and they decided they would give backpacks to each one of the 80 to 100 pastors. Well, the day of the, uh, the conference, 160 pastors and their wives showed up and Pete had to make a quick, quick call to the supplier to get some more backpacks. And it wasn't just getting the backpacks. It was printing the Harvest Chapel logo on it. And it was a big, big deal for them because far more showed up. And I later found out that there were pastors that because it was a a national holiday, the public transportation didn't run. They were not going to get to come. And they scraped and scraped and scrounged and scraped a group of pastors and their wives together, sacrificing their own funds to pay for a little van to give them a ride, maybe 80, 90 miles. And to go five or 10 miles, it can take hours because of the traffic jams. And these people came 150 kilometers, 300 kilometers round trip, just so they could come, fellowship, praise and worship together, unite and be taught. That really impressed me that these people are so dedicated to what Pete gives them. And what he gives them is not just getting up there and speaking, but he gives them almost like a syllabus, something to hand out to each one of them that they can all take. The cost to do it must be immense for this church plant, but Pete does it. And I've later found out how valuable the syllabi are because they take them home and this is what they teach and preach from because they just don't have the skill set yet to do all of their own biblical study, nor do they have any commentaries or books or the internet or anything that they could use to support their study. Wow. Mark, Pete asked you if you would do something that was kind of difficult for you at the end of that conference. Uh, Would you tell us about that? Yeah, the theme of the conference was going through trials, and uh, I had just recently lost my wife to cancer uh, about three months before the trip. And uh, a big part of what Pete has been trying to do with these, particularly these, these men, these pastors, is to give them a more biblical approach to the way that they treat their wives and, and, and value their wives. So he asked if I would share, um, a little bit about, um, my marriage and, and I, I did, uh, I, I pretty much went back through our whole story, my life, uh, before Vanessa came along and, and God's plan, uh, how, how he brings people together, that she uh, completed my life in so many ways. Um, he gave me strength there. Hopefully he'll give me strength right now to, to recall it. Um, uh, watching her mature over the years, uh, 37 years of marriage, was very special. The last five, uh, when she struggled with cancer, I really kind of focused in on uh, the way that she handled herself and the witness that she was to to other people. Many people were 
very inspired by her um, fight. Yeah, for sure. She died gracefully. And I believe while I was sharing, I compared it to a story of the woman who brought perfume to Jesus. We don't always understand why things happen. Um, but she was like that bottle of perfume, very valuable, costly. And she was broken and spilled out at Jesus' feet. And I had to watch. And much like Judas, sometimes we can be selfish and wonder, you know, why? What a waste. She's so young. So many things to offer. And yet he has a higher plan than we do. And... Uh, we just accept that it's for his glory. At her funeral, there was family members there who did not know the Lord, uh, who now know the Lord. I looked out as I was talking, and uh, I could see a lot of emotion on people's, some of the men's face. So I knew it was kind of the Lord was speaking to them, which was which was pretty cool. When I finished. Um, he had some Q&A with, with them, and <laughs> there was a lot of comments. One guy got up, and I, threw an, I couldn't understand, but through an interpreter, I guess he, he, he had lost his wife, and, and, and my testimony had spoken to him greatly. Another one who had yelled at his wife that morning about being late, who was going to call her and apologize, just little humorous things. But, but uh, Pete took me aside afterwards and said that God had really used it. Uh, he thought. And so it was a blessing to be able to share that and uh, know that, that God can use any of us. And that was a chance for me. So thank you for sharing that. I know it was difficult, but I also know that there was lots of people here who were touched by that story and encouraged by it. So I'm super glad that some uh, some of the pastors and their wives and Another country also got to um, be encouraged and grow by you sharing your experience. So we're thankful for you taking that that risk and, and sharing that with us. Summer, I don't think Mark or the, or the people that are listening can understand how important it was for Mark to do what he did. Uh, Paul had told me that a lot of the problems with these the pastors, and many of these pastors— unfortunately, still follow some of the cultural norms. And some of the norms are if your wife doesn't do what you want, you can beat her. And so they miss out on having godly biblical relationships. They don't see it. Uh, many times they're, they've been traumatized so much in their upbringing and, and in their community and in their families that they just carry this this trauma into their families and unknowingly just continue it and it, it continues and carries on. Paul also said that after you get traumatized enough, you begin to become numb and you, you become emotionally numb. You, you can still work. 
You can still teach, you can still preach, but you isolate yourself from genuinely, genuinely living on a heart level. You live in a head level. I experienced this when I interviewed a few of these pastors after the conference. I asked them some very specific heart questions to try to to draw out of them. What did they feel? What did they hear? What did they, uh, and, and the ones that I interviewed, they could not do that. They could not give an answer to any of the questions unless it was an intellectual response. It was from the mind and not the heart. They, it was as if that part of them has been locked up, walled up, boarded up. And, and Paul and I later talked and said that Mark getting up and sharing and showing emotion and showing his heartfelt love and value for his wife, again, a wife, spoke far more to these pastors in that testimony than even all the teaching that I did because that touched, that cracked open. It cracked that heart for just a moment. They, it touched their heart for a moment. It helped them come to grips with something. It helped them process. And even these men getting up and giving their testimonies were example that that was used so importantly in these in these men's lives. And this is something that Paul desperately wants for these these men because if they can't share their hearts with their wives, how are they going to share God's love with people and it not just be intellectual? So the testimony that Mark gave and the difficulty that he had going through it and sharing it and recalling it did not come back void. It was one of the most valuable things that have happened. And I would like to share with our our listeners that if you have difficult times in your life, if you've had a difficult upbringing, childhood, relationship, marriage, whatever it is, God protected you. Yes, you went through that, but you got through it. And God wants to get the glory for it. And you'll never know who needs to hear about how God sustained you, how God helped you, how God was there. And we all need to hear that we may not understand, and it may not look right, and it may look like a mistake to us, but God never makes mistakes, and he always uses things for his glory. And so I just want to tell everybody that please become a missionary where you are, with your family. And if you want to go with me and Mark to a foreign country or with Kent, Come go with us and share what God's taken you through because you never know whose heart it's going to touch. I think that's a great place to to end. So thanks, guys. I appreciate you sharing all that you shared. Thank you, Summer. Thank you. We're just so thankful you joined us today, and we hope you're blessed and encouraged by what you heard. If you're not involved in making an impact through a partnership with one of our nationals, I'd like to invite you. Now's a great time to start. If you're not sure where to start, our website is a great place to see the most recent news from the field. And you can find that at intouchmission.org. See you next time.